Well, welcome everybody uh, to Jericho Ridge this morning. Uh, it's great to see everybody here. We've got a day that's not quite raining yet, so that's really awesome. Um, if everybody wants to come down and uh, find your seat, and we're going to spend some time just praising God for, for who He is, what He's done for us. And um, So if everybody wants to stand, and uh, we'll praise Him. I want to welcome you all. It's great to see you here this morning on the Lord's Day. And uh, we've all come to worship and to give praise to Him. And today's a special day because it's a missionary vignette type of Sunday. It's a little bit different. We won't have one person up here and uh, expounding on the Word, but we will have lots of people who have experience in the mission field uh, coming and telling you about what they've been up to. 
So I first have to start by thanking everyone in Jericho Ridge for supporting missions. Um, we're a small church, but you're doing wonderful things through, through your gifts, through your friendships um, that have, have grown with so many missionaries that we have. And uh, you're going to hear from them this morning. So I want to start um, by reading God's Word. And this is a pretty familiar story. I think lots of the kids will understand it too. From Luke. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I love Jesus' reply. He's so smart. Turns it on him. He said, what's written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this, and you will live. But the expert of the law wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, Poured oil and, um, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, went and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So the Samaritan, who was the very antithesis um, to the Jews, like he was, they were hated, Samaritans were hated by the Jews. He was the one that ended up showing compassion and mercy. He he actually, I love that line, he said, uh, and when I return. And, but before that, he says um, that he, or the Bible says that he stayed the night. And um, I just thought that's really cool. That shows uh, God's heart for us. And uh, we see that, that God cared more for the man, and he cares more for people than about their position. And it's amazing because that means that we're all loved, and that we can all get involved with our mission. And it doesn't matter where you are. Um, you can serve here in Langley. You can serve in Vancouver. You can serve in India. You can serve in Africa. And uh, God has a place for each one of us to, to serve. So he, he continues to give us all courage um, to, uh, to be faithful. And um, I just pray that as a church, we'll continue to hear and have a heart uh, for the good news, to, to take the good news to people. Um, we see people who have had needs, um, had their spiritual needs met, but they still have their physical needs uh, to be taken care of as well. And uh, that's what so much of what we're doing here is, uh, um, as a church. We're going out and, and supporting these missionaries, or we're going out from Jericho Ridge and being missionaries, and that's just amazing. So what I'm going to do, um, Ralph, I hope you're here. Would you come up for a minute? And then we have the opportunity to talk a little bit about Guatemala this morning, and then um, others will be coming up as well. So, Ralph, you just returned from Guatemala, and can you tell us a little bit about that? Thanks, Curtis. Yes, we just got back last week, Saturday. We had a group of 10 go to Guatemala, work with Bethel Ministries International. We uh, had a diverse group. We had a building contractor from Edmonton, a a bricklayer, concrete finisher from Smithers, bus drivers, uh, even our granddaughter. We all got along well. We worked together as a team. We built 
uh, one home. We furnished it, two bunk beds, uh, tables, chairs, the whole bit. Uh, then we went out and did two wheelchair distributions. We distributed 115 wheelchairs, and 21 people gave their lives to the Lord. That's great. Thanks, Ralph. Through the help and support of many friends um, here in Langley and, and in this church, uh, in the past five years, for the teams that go out to Guatemala at, um, at spring break, we have been able to build nine homes and fit up more than 340 low-income families with uh, wheelchairs for their families, for their, um, for their children, uh, for sometimes it's for adults who need them so that they can work. And this March is really cool. On, from the 16th to the 23rd, we'll be going again. And uh, we plan on doing what, what Ralph had just talked about from uh, wheelchair distribution and um, wheelchair distribution, building homes. We'll be going to, hopefully going to an orphanage. And uh, they're very full days because we even fit in going out into the villages, to the very poorest of um, the villages, and taking, I love that one. We found that on the side. It was amazing. Um, but we go out and we distribute uh, food and clothing as well. So um, in that time, it is so neat. Um, we get to, to preach the gospel. Now, it's not me preaching the gospel because they wouldn't understand what I said. But um, we do have uh, uh, partners there and some of our team members who speak Spanish as well that go. And I admit, because my Spanish is so brutal, I don't understand what Chris Mooney says, but when he preaches before the wheelchair distribution or he prays with a family who's in a ramshackled old house, um, made of, like, just slapped together with old wood or, or corn, cornstalk, um, what we see are the smiles and the laughter, the tears, and uh, we hear that many hearts have, have turned their focus towards heaven thankful for the gift of mobility or a dry roof over their heads, over their children's heads, um, a solid floor. But most importantly, they get to hear about the gift of grace and the gift of hope. These short-term missions, like Ralph said, are really effective, and they're amazing um, in leading people to the Lord. And we are doubly blessed knowing that our partners in Guatemala come to love and care for our new friends in Christ, our brothers and sisters, uh, long after we leave. But that leads me to this question. Among you, who will go? And here's an excerpt from James, James 1.27. Pure religion, undefiled before God is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. So think about that. That's not a very pretty space to enter, to visit the widows and the fatherless in their affliction. But we're going there, and teams go there, and Renee's gone there, and Brian and Rihanna have gone there, and I could keep going through the congregation and just look around, and, and uh, Joel's been there, and I see Norm, and I, you know, Pastor Brad has been there as well. And they go, and they have an amazing experience, and we get to serve, and we get to... Um, to show them the love of Christ, to be the feet and uh, hands of Jesus there as we serve. The first time that we went, I have to admit, it was a culture shock. And it was difficult to see people living in, in the conditions that we saw. It's so foreign from what we see here in our, in our, uh, in our area in Langley and, and um, in, in British Columbia. But the neat thing is, is we've seen the contrast between the living conditions and then the warm hospitality of people who have offered us food from their meager pantries, from caring mothers who will offer us uh, drinks. They'll send their kids out to go get pop, and we know they have nothing, and we know that they've worked hard all day washing clothes, um, loads and loads of clothes by hand, in this water that doesn't look like anything's going to come clean out of it. And, um, or they, maybe they've been working in a garbage dump looking for items that they can resell to provide for their families. And it's just amazing that we can be there. So we've seen many warm smiles, hugs, laughter from men and women. 
the children. Um, they're so grateful for the gifts that we bring, but also for that message of hope, ultimately. And we're confident that uh, when we go in obedience, we don't go it alone. We go with you as a team, and the Lord has always been faithful provide, to provide everything that we need. So right now, time is of the essence. Uh, spring break is coming up very, very quickly, and we want to pull the team together in November so we can get flights and that type of thing. And uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to have a lunch. And um, if the Spirit's tugging at your heart, you're thinking about, hey, this is something I'd like to do, but I don't think I could do it. We want you to just set those barriers aside and think about what you can do. And then just come. Come to the lunch. Sit down. Have uh, lunch with uh, friends. Have lunch with um, past team members. And hear about what we can do uh, together. So it's no strings attached, and and, uh, we can fill you in on the details. uh, And then you and the Holy Spirit can take it from there. So that's it. My name's Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge, and it's our privilege to have you uh, here with us uh, this morning as we give you a window into some of the different places in the world where Jericho Ridge uh, is seeing God at work and as we celebrate that together. Many of you will be familiar that at Christmas time, as it comes into Advent, each year for the past number of years, we have released a gift guide that uh, gives you opportunities to get connected in a financial partnership way with the different places where God is at work in the world. And so we thought before we get there, it would be helpful for you to have some stories and some context for that. So you've heard about Guatemala and our work there that we've been doing now for six years almost. And um, that is going to continue. The lunch is next weekend, just a point of clarity for you. The newcomer's lunch, if you're new to here at Jericho and you want to hang out and get to know a little bit more about who we are and uh, what God is calling us to do, then you're welcome to stay uh, after our gathering this morning. And we'll just head down the stairs and to the left to the rec center and uh, have lunch together there. And child care is provided for that. So if you would like to do that, but you're new around here and you haven't talked to anybody yet, come and find myself uh, or Pastor Keith, who is leading the dedication, and we'll make sure that uh, you can get some food this afternoon. And then next week, if you want to find out about Guatemala, then the lunch is at uh, Curtis and Sue's place. So please talk uh, to them, and you can get directions and information on that. Well, I'm going to ask the ushers if they would come forward at this time, and uh, we'll prepare to uh, receive the offering. And as we do, we want to introduce our second story for this morning. And it's a story from Tanzania. Now, many of you heard when uh, I was in Tanzania in May, and I came back and spoke the first weekend in June about my experiences there in Tanzania, and told a little bit of the story of a young man named Adam. And some of you have been in touch, you've been seeing uh, updates from me on different places and social media about how Adam is doing and how he's progressing. And uh, we wanted to tell you his story here today so that you get a picture of the work of Under the Same Sun in Tanzania. And so uh, some of the people on the stage might be familiar to you. Uh, Peter Ash, who's the CEO and founder of Under the Same Sun, attends here at Jericho Ridge. And uh, Vicky is the executive director of Under the Same Sun in Tanzania, where there's about 20 staff who work tirelessly day in and day out uh, in the work in education and advocacy in Tanzania. So, Vicky, uh, why don't you start Adam's story for us? Help us understand a little bit. You've spoken here with us before, helping us get a sense of what's going on in Tanzania in terms of um, persons with albinism there and in terms of their plight and experiences. Uh, help us understand a little bit of Adam's story and history. So welcome here to Jericho Ridge. Thank you. Thank you for having us again, and thank you for your prayers. Adam was attacked on the, 20, on the 14th of uh, October in uh, northwestern Tanzania. Uh, on that day, his brother, Salum, who has albinism also, was told to go and uh, spend the night with his uncle, elder uncle. And um, Adam was at home. So uh, before that night, Adam was told to go and uh, to take the cows 
to the grazing field all by himself. And there he met a man who was a stranger to him. And the man was trying to lure him into going with him to a place where just that man knew. And uh, Adam was trying to resist. Uh, He told him uh, there is a hat that he wants to give it to Adam. And Adam refused, said that I have a hat. And then uh, later on, he asked whether his father was at home. And Adam said that, yes, my father is at home. Well, in the end, um, uh, when Adam went home with with the cows, uh, that man followed him. And uh, the parents, that is the stepmother of Adam and the father, the biological father, invited the man to have dinner with them. On that night, it was raining, and normally they would have dinner outside, uh, or just outside the, the house, on the compound. But when it started raining, they had to go into the house. And the father and the stepmother went ahead with some dishes, and Adam followed the father, uh, just, uh, was just next to the father with another dish. And this man came, uh, was the last person to leave the compound. And uh, when the father and the stepmother were inside the house, the man attacked Adam just by the door. And Adam was screaming for help from both the mother, for both the mother and uh, the, uh, the stepmother and the father to help him. And nobody came to his rescue. So the man attacked him first on the shoulder over here. And then later on this arm over here. And later on chopped off the fingers, uh, the thumb and the fingers. And it was that time that uh, Adam realized that he was fighting all alone. This is a big man and uh, the father and also the stepmother were inside and didn't even bother to go to his rescue. So, and God was there, of course, for Adam. And he was able to struggle and then beat the man's private part. That's when the man man fled, but with uh, Adam's fingers and a thumb. And... um, This is Adam's story. So when uh, Peter came just a few days uh, later, a few weeks later, um, Adam was still in hospital. And uh, Peter asked Adam, what did he want? And Adam said, I want to go to school. Because throughout his childhood, the father didn't bother to take them to school. Because according to the father, he was afraid that when they go to school on their way back home, both Adam and his brother Salum, they would be attacked. But they were attacked at home. Thank you. Thank you, Vicky. And just let me add that, um, the, uh, as Vicky has said, the alleged um, concern the father had was false. And it was a lie because, of course... Adam was attacked right in front of his father, and his father did nothing. His father was complicit in the attack. In fact, his father and stepmother were arrested uh, and were later released due to quote-unquote lack of evidence. And so all of the culprits in his crime are at large to this day. And when uh, Adam learned that the, he identified that his father was 20 feet away and did nothing, and he said to me when I saw him in Gaeta in uh, November last year, he said, I can never go home again. And so, of course, he has now been placed with his brother, with Salum, who's older, who has albinism, in one of our schools in, in uh, Mwanza, in the Lake Zone, uh, in a private English medium school that has good security. So they're in a secure environment, but they're basically orphans. The mother, biological mother, loves him, but lives far away and is very poor, and has married a man who will not have Adam in his house because he doesn't want children with albinism in his house due to discrimination. So basically, Adam is an orphan. Um, and so when I did meet him, as Vicky said, in the hospital, uh, I was quite moved because when I asked this little boy, what do you want? He doesn't say, like maybe some of our kids would, uh, how about uh, Wii or Xbox? He says, I just want to go to school. And, uh, but I have nowhere to go. And I can never go home. 
So that we could do. We could put Adam in school. We have a number of schools throughout Tanzania. These are not schools for disabled children. These are schools that are the best schools in the country. The vast majority of the students in them are, have no disability of any kind. So we have a network of schools we can put them in. But the problem Adam faced, among many others, is he was academically behind because he hadn't been in school for a long time. But one of the big challenges was he couldn't hold a, a pen and write very well because he's right-handed. So how does he go to school and write when his thumb, his, his first finger, and half of his second finger have been hacked off with a machete? So I, I thought about that, and I got home, and Vicky and I talked about this, like, how is he going to go to school? We can deal with the low vision because, you know, you can see he has special low vision lenses, uh, and our low vision team and, uh, got involved in that, and Dr. Becky Cameron's here today, uh, and she came with a low vision team and, and has helped our kids. So we could deal with the low vision piece, and we could put him in a safe place, but he needs to write. So I came home, and I started thinking, what can we do? And Adam's story, as do all these, the stories of our, our kids, move me so deeply. So I began to think about some kind of surgical intervention. And as it happened, a few years ago, Debbie fell and broke her hand. And in the process, we got connected to a hand surgeon in Vancouver by the name of Dr. Peter Groper. And yes, that is his name. He's a hand surgeon. <laughs> I kid you not. And uh, so we got, got hooked up with him. I phoned up the clinic that he worked out of, talked to the clinic manager. And anyway, long story short, after four or five months of phone calls and conference calls and emails and cajoling and begging and praying, we managed to put together a team of surgeons, the finest in the province, who would donate their time to reconstruct Adam's hand. And we had Dr. Mark Hill, Dr. Peter Groper, Dr. Brown, and Dr. Cindy Bashir. We had microsurgeons, pediatric plastic surgeons, orthopedic surgeons, and they performed a 13-hour surgical procedure at Vancouver General Hospital. All of the surgeons, nurses, anesthesiologists all donated their time, didn't charge a penny. The hospital donated the OR. The nurses donated their care, and uh, it was done. He was in the hospital for two weeks, and they did an amazing toe-to-thumb implant. So they removed a toe from his foot, detached it, and reattached it to where his thumb was missing. And uh, they connected all the fibers, the nerves, the blood vessels. They took muscle and tendon from his left leg and transplanted it. If you look at your thumb, you'll notice there's muscle right here at the base of the thumb. That muscle was also chopped off. So not only did he have the thumb chopped off, but all the muscles, nerves, and tendons were removed. So now they have to find muscle, and they have to find nerve, and they have to reconnect it in exactly the right way. So the brain will send the right signal to move that new organ. This was done under an electron microscope at points, this surgery. So this is a very complex surgery. Very few surgeons can do it. And this happened, and he recovered, and he is still recovering for many more weeks and many more months to come. And there is movement in his thumb. You can see, just put your hand up here, Adam. You can see this is his hand. This here was his toe, is now his thumb. And uh, he can move it somewhat. It's a gradual process. He was able to grab a crayon or a, a, with a big, thick foam piece around it and begin to color for the first time about a week ago. It's going to be a gradual process, but over the next several months, we hope that he'll be able to hold a pen and write. So Adam's dream is coming true. Uh, and i got to tell you, he celebrated his birthday here in Vancouver on October the 15th. And that was exactly, he was attacked one day before his 12th birthday. He was at October 14th of 2011, and he had a celebration of a new hand a year later here in Vancouver. So amidst the tragedy, there's been all of this hope. There's been all of this um, recovery. And his brother, Saloum, who's older with albinism, is still waiting for him back in Tanzania. And Adam is anxious to be reunited and we're hoping in the next few months he'll be able to be recovered enough to go back to Tanzania and resume his studies. But this is a living example of the work of Under the Same Sun. In the middle of incredible tragedy, we have hope. And I don't know if you were told, you, many of you know this, the reason he was attacked was that there is a belief that the body parts of persons with albinism, their skin, hair, blood, eyes, have magical powers. And there's a lucrative black market in the trade of albino body parts. And so the, peop the person who attacked him would have been working in concert with a local witch doctor. And those, those fingers, by the way, would have been sold already on the black market, probably for thousands of dollars. So Adam's fingers have been sold somewhere in Tanzania or exported to another African country. We don't know where they are. Uh, but we do know that that's why he was attacked. And so please pray for him. And uh, please pray for all of our uh, brothers and sisters. And maybe I'll pass this to, to, to Brad for, for that. Yeah, let's. We have uh, some of the team from Under the Same Sun uh, in Tanzania and some Tanzanian guests here. So I'll ask uh, you guys to stand if you wouldn't mind. 
And uh, we'll start, uh, Dr. Beluga. Uh, Dr. Beluga was the attending physician at the hospital in Tanzania, in Gaeta, where when Adam uh, came to the hospital. And Dr. Beluga, uh, after he, his hand was stitched up, the hospital said, well, he's okay, we can send him home. And Dr. Beluga became an advocate for Adam and said, no, this young man has no home, it's not safe, he must stay here in this hospital until we discern and take some next steps. And so Dr. Beluga has walked with Adam each step of the way under the same sun has brought Dr. Beluga here to Canada uh, to translate and to care for Adam in his continued recovery. And, uh, and uh, he's been an incredible support uh, to Adam and to the work of Under the Same Sun all along the way. Uh, you've met uh, Vicky. Uh, Vicky's uh, right-hand man is Gamariel Mboya. Gamariel is the operations manager at Under the Same Sun in Tanzania. He's been here with us before, so he told me today he's been here three times, so he doesn't feel he can come to the newcomer's lunch. So uh, you can still come, yeah, if you want. Uh, next to him is Harriet. Uh, Harriet is one of the media team uh, in Tanzania and does work with local radio because there's many parts out in the rural and remote regions of Tanzania where people don't have televisions, and so their team's been putting together advocacy work and information officers. Uh, some of you have met Amadou as well. Amadou is the uh, French-speaking uh, West African advocacy officer for Under the Same Sun, lives just here in Walnut Grove, and uh, you've heard, if you've been here at Jericho, a little bit about Amadou's story uh, as well. And Joyce is also here. Joyce is uh, uh, here in Canada and is a caregiver for Adam uh, and also a, a great friend and cooks Adam some home cooking from Tanzania so that he feels uh, comfortable while he's here. So what we would like to do is we want to pray as a church family and continue to pray for Adam. I'm going to ask everybody from under the same sun uh, if you would stand and those around them, uh, if you can gather around them and lay your hands on them and pray for them in this work. So if you guys can stand up, and Becky, if you and your family can stand up, uh, Dr. Rebecca Cameron is the low vision specialist, and uh, she was on the team that was um, in May there in Tanzania with myself. And so if you guys want to move around, and uh, I'm going to pray uh, for Adam, and then I'll pass the mic around to a few other people. And Vicky, can you translate my prayers for Adam into Swahili? All right, so Tammy, can you give Vicky your mic there? And that would be great. All right, so let's pray together. We'll start praying for Adam, and then if you want the mic to pray for the team and the work in Tanzania, I'll just pass it around to you, okay? So, God, you are gracious, good, and kind. You have had your hand of protection on this young man's life. And Father, it has been for a purpose. And we pray that your purposes in Adam's life would be fulfilled. You know the plans that you have for him, God. Plans to prosper him. Plans to bring him a hope and a future. And God, we pray that in his life, he would grow in strength and grow in wisdom, that you would bring full healing and physical recovery to his body and his hand. We pray that he would be a model to many, Father, an example to many of courage, of strength, and of the work of your Holy Spirit in his life. Thank you. Lord, we just want to thank you for Adam and, and the team that supported him. Uh, we just want to uh, ask you to continue to protect him, bless him, and we just want to look at him as an example uh, to us of a young man that's already exhibited wisdom and courage and uh, just taken on this, this whole transformation uh, operation, everything else with grace. And we just uh, praise you for the work that's been done. 
and in the work yet to be done. We thank you for the team that uh, donated their time and their skills, and we know that their hearts were touched by this whole event, and we just pray that you would grow a deeper relationship with, with them as well, Lord. We ask this in and through the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, Adam, thank you for your courage in sharing your story with us and being here. You're a special young man. Um, if you are interested, uh, we are taking a team to Tanzania in the end of July of next summer, July 22nd to August 5th. For two weeks, we'll be visiting Adam at his school in the Lake Zone in Tanzania and uh, doing a kids' camp for him and several hundred other kids uh, with albinism in that area of the world. And so if you're interested, come talk to myself, uh, talk to Meg. We'd be happy to get you some more information about that, and you can continue to pray for Adam as he continues to recover here in Vancouver and makes a transition back to Tanzania. So thank you both for sharing with us this morning. My name is Danny. I don't know if all of you know me or not, I've been going to Jericho since about the time it started. I think I missed the first couple of weeks, you'll have to forgive me. And um, figured that maybe you've seen me around, maybe you know who I am or maybe you don't, um, but i just give you a little bit of a snapshot of who I am and what I do and a little bit of why. Um, really, I'm just a normal guy. I like to watch movies and read comic books and ride motorcycles. That's really what you need to know about me. Um, but... Uh, over the past 17 years of my life, I've spent a lot of time with teenagers. And a lot of people have said that's because I'm not mature enough to do anything else. But the truth probably lies closer to the fact that when I was 17, I was involved in a very serious car accident when I was car surfing, riding on top of the car in the church parking lot. And I was thrown off going about 60 kilometers an hour, and I landed on my face. And um, that started the process of recovering, growing skin back on my face and digging rocks out from embedded within my skin. But through that, I lost a lot of my friends as they saw me for who I really was, which wasn't a very smart or fun person, but someone who was just stupid. Uh, I lost my girlfriend and the hope that I had in that relationship, and I lost uh, all the dreams I had for my future career. And... I was lonely, and I was hurt, and I was confused. I didn't really know what was going on. And though I had grown up in the church and had said the prayer many times, it wasn't until that moment that God really became real to me. And, um, hey, maybe you think I'm crazy or not, but uh, I actually heard God's voice speak to me and in that moment. And he said, I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. And he never has, even in the times that I wish he would leave me alone. And um, throughout the next two years and a suicide attempt later, um, I realized that I should have died in that car accident and that my life was done and my life was over. And so if I was going to be alive, it must be by God's grace. And so I was willing to give him the rest of my life for him to do with whatever he wanted me to do. And I had been involved in youth work for a long time as a volunteer and as an intern um, in several churches and I always thought that would be the full capacity of my work with young people. Uh, as a volunteer, I'd never wanted to pursue that in a full-time basis. Um, but when my brother-in-law died outside of a church in, in a bar in Pitt Meadows, um, the church who shared this wall with the bar is a really interesting arrangement. But uh, they wanted to run some youth programs in the community in honor of my brother, and so I offered to volunteer my time, and they offered me a job as a youth pastor. And so that marked a, a moment in my life when I started to move away from working with just kids within the church, and I started to move outside the walls of the church and work with kids in the community and in the high school. Actually, one of those kids is here today. He's not really a kid anymore, but uh, he is a youth worker in the school district now. I'm just so proud of him for for actually being better at this than I am, uh, more qualified anyway. Um, yeah, I, because I had no interest in this, 
and I really hadn't worked with kids outside the church, when I first encountered all these kids that really had no idea of who God was, I was just ruined forever. And when I say ruined, it means that I could never go back to pretending I didn't know that they existed, which was a lot easier. But the fact was that they do exist, and there's a lot of kids out there that had never heard about God before, and they've grown up within this community, within the culture here, right here in Langley, and they have never been to church before once in their life, and they have no idea what it means, and they have very distorted views of who God is. And I realized that my story and my life could actually make a difference into those kids' lives. And so after two years of the partnership with that church, I actually moved into a full-time role to work with community kids here in Langley with Youth Unlimited. And God gave me a dream at that time that the youth of Langley would have the means to live a healthy life, physically, emotionally, intellectually, socially, and spiritually. I see people as a package deal. I don't just come after them with a Bible and tell them that they must believe in what I believe, but I tell them that I'm there to help them with whatever is going on in their life. If they need a tutor, if they need you know, some help with counseling, if they need uh, someone to talk to their parents that just can't get along with them, whatever it is that they're going through, I want to be there to help them through it. At the same time, God gave me some verses that were a part of my calling, and they're out of Ezekiel 3, because um, I said I would do anything, and I had my, forfeit my life for him, and then he was sending me to this. I was willing to go anywhere. I didn't know he was going to leave me here. And he said, You're not being sent to a people of obscure speech and difficult language, but to the house of Israel, not to many peoples of obscure speech and difficult language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely, if I had sent you to them, they would have listened to you. (sighs) The house of Israel is not willing to listen to you because they're not willing to listen to me. For the whole house of Israel is hardened and obstinate, but I will make you as unyielding and hardened as they are, and I'll make your forehead as the hardest stone, harder than flint. Do not be afraid of them or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious house. And he said to me, Son of man, listen carefully and take heart to the words I speak to you. Go now to your countrymen in exile and speak to them. Say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, whether they listen or fail to listen. So, when I came into Langley, I tried to make things happen, and I tried to make a difference, and there were some good things that happened, some some good times, and I'm not going to say that there wasn't, but everything did fall apart on me, and I was left with nothing but the story of how God had moved into my own life. I didn't have programs, I didn't have cool stuff to bring them. I didn't have cool things to invite them to. All I had was me sitting in a Tim Hortons with a group of kids as they talked about how they got drunk over the weekend. And I said, hey, I think there's other ways to live. And here, let me tell you about why I think drinking is not the funnest thing in the entire world. And um, I was really surprised to see how God could use my story and the ways that he had worked in me, though it didn't seem very miraculous to me. It was life-altering for these kids to hear that there's a God that can take so much interest in their life. And so that's when thing, things really started to move. And so it works a little bit like, like this, when I let God shape it instead of me. Um, unlike my role as a youth pastor, um, in this role, I don't wait for the kids to come to me. I don't wait for them to come to my, my group or to my church, but instead I go to where they are. I spend times in in the skate parks and in the backwoods where they're drinking and I'll walk down the hallways of their school and this one day as I was walking through a hallway I saw this girl sitting by her locker in tears and I went and sat down next to her and asked her what was wrong and she said nothing and I said you're a liar (laughs) and that was the beginning of our friendship Um, and that's just the fact that I can be present with kids in their life And I've met many kids just due to the fact that I'm around. And um, even when I was a youth pastor, I was lucky to be in my kids' school like once a week. And now um, we have partnerships with four schools here in Langley School District, and we're around kids every single day. Just this past week, I had a kid tell me he hasn't talked or seen his dad in seven years, and I see that kid every day. Well, almost every day. He's not here right now. But... um, that just talk about the chance and opportunity to make an impact in someone's life just by being present. Uh, with all these kids, we try to get to know them better. With the young lady I found in tears, I, um, we took her out for a coffee and just listened to her 
talk about her life, um, found out that she was cutting, uh, she was struggling in school, um, her family relationships were no good, and um, she was suicidal. And through that uh, meeting, we offered, you know, to, to help her. And I've heard lots of things come out in conversation over meals and over coffee. Um, so oftentimes people see me in coffee shops and they wonder why I don't, I don't go to work, but I'm actually working when I'm there. And um, uh, I've heard confessions of bullying, of violence, of kids being lured into prostitution, and um, sometimes they're victims of violence and sometimes they're perpetrators of it. Uh, but these are times where I can actually just sit and connect just because I'm willing to sit and listen to what it is that they have to say. Um, just this past week, I had a kid tell me that they're going to give up on the relationship with their dad because it's more stress than it's worth. And I really just want to jump into that relationship and learn, help them learn how to communicate to each other because something obviously isn't working right. And that's what we do. Once we get armed with the information about what's going on in these kids' lives and the specific details of where they're at, that's how we can connect the dots for them in what's going on within the context of where they're at. Um, it works in all sorts of ways as we've kind of come out as professionals in, in youth work and youth care um, in the community that we get contacted by kids. We also get contacted by community officials. And just this past week, w late one night, I got a phone call from the police. And I tell you, it doesn't matter how old you are or how long you've been doing this work. When the phone rings and it's like, hello, this is Constable so-and-so. I'm like, hi, what do I do? I'm so sorry. Um, but then he asked. Um, he's like, I'm here with a 17-year-old. He's just had an altercation, and he could use some help. I'm like, you're calling me? <laughs> All right, awesome. So that's just a little bit, a little bit of how it works, and I'd love to tell you more stories about it. Um, but um, really, I see that the community people see us as a, a place where they can connect kids uh, and the world of adults. So I guess that the fact that I'm immature really works well. I can fit in between mature adults and immature youth. Um, so here, we always thought that it was something bad, but it's something God's been able to redeem. And um, as we start to work with kids in their lives in this way, they often start to have lots of questions about what's going on in the greater picture of their life. So we start to address one need, and then they start to pour out and confess all sorts of needs that they have in all sorts of areas of their life. And this is really where the spiritual connection can really start to happen. And um, I always make it clear that I'm a follower of Jesus and that these kids don't have to believe the same things as me for me to be able to help them. I'm motivated because of what Jesus has done in my own life um, and helped me and reached and picked me up out of the dirt and dusted me off and kept me going. And I want to be able to do that for the kids in their life without any kind of strings attached. But I also think that this is a really confusing time in people's lives as adolescents and um, they just need a place, a chance to just be able to explore what it is that they believe and what they are thinking about life. Um, and a lot of times they can't do that within their family context because there's all this history and you're going to believe the same thing as me. And I can understand that. I want my kids to believe the same things that I do as well. But um, they just need a chance to explore and say things that are ridiculous. And uh, there's all sorts of ridiculous beliefs out there. I had a conversation with a girl this past week who is, um, I can't even know if I can recapture this entirely, but she um, is Jewish, but she talks to dead people, and I don't know, something else. And it's so confusing. She's kind of taken a jumble of a whole bunch of different beliefs and just shipped them into one, one little package deal for herself. The kid that we were working with that I met on the hallway floor and who was crying, we went for coffee and were connecting with her. Um, she told me that she was an atheist and didn't want to hear anything about God and I said that was fine, didn't matter um, but then she came to me later on and said I started having this dream and trying to kill myself in my dream by jumping off a bridge and God keeps catching me, what does that mean? and I said I don't, I don't know but it sounds like he's trying to get your attention and through that was just the start of a relationship with God where she started to be able to open up to him and through some listening prayer and some prayer counseling, she actually had an encounter with Jesus and started to walk with him. And I was able to baptize her in my house. So that's really exciting stuff. And we see God really move if we just open up our lives to these kids and allow them to come into our home for a meal. Or if we just sit around like a table doing art projects together. 
So in the first time we ever did a meal in our house, we had about 30 kids from all sorts of different walks of life all come into our house, and we're like, well, they don't know each other, and we don't really know them. Let's just start off with an icebreaker question. So what's one thing you would change about your week? And the girl to my right, I can just see this so vividly as if it happened yesterday, but she said, I would change the fact that my little brother was murdered this week. And I'm like, someone should say something. I'm like, oh, that someone should be me. Uh, I didn't know what to say. But this is the kind of thing that we're dealing with right here, locally. This is not like being sent off to some other portion of the world. This is happening right here. Her little brother was murdered. He's 14. I, I don't understand how this happens. It doesn't even make the news, really, but it did happen. And what we're looking for here is just a chance to give them a place to sort this stuff out, a chance to be included and a chance to belong. And I still have this dream that God gave me when I first came here. And there's lots of kids out there. Maybe you heard about Amanda Todd um, in the news recently who um, committed suicide after a long road of battling with bullying and exploitation and hurt and pain in her life. And those stories sadden me because I really wish that I could have been there to intervene in her life. I know that I can't save her, but I can at least try to make a difference in a kid's life like that. And so I just continue to be motivated. There's more kids. It's not just, oh, I've reached one kid and that's good. Or I've, and even if you've reached them, the story doesn't end. Just like the girl um, that I was just talking about that gave her life to God and that was baptized in my home. Like, it didn't end there. Like, she, she walked away from God again, and she ended up in heavy drugs and alcohol and bad relationships and ended up pregnant, still in high school. And some people were telling her she'd get an abortion, and I was telling her she should go for adoption. And um, instead, she decided to keep the baby, which I thought was... I didn't know what to think of that particular set of circumstances, but what I saw was that God used this child in her life to turn her life around and bring her back to him again. And, man, I wanted to give up on that kid so many times, and I didn't want anything to do with her. It stressed me out and everything, but God kept telling me to be faithful. I can never see success, but that's exactly the verses that he told me is that, you know, whether they listen or fail to listen, they need to just keep going out there and saying the same things over and over. It's not always easy. I'm really glad I did stick with her so I could see what God was doing in her life. And I really learn a lot through working with the kids that I hang out with. So I'm up here this morning uh, to say I can't do it alone. I really, I really can't. I need prayer. I need encouragement to keep going and doing this. And um, I need financial support. I need volunteers. And there's tons and tons and tons of different ways that we as a community can work together to help impact the kids in this community. And so uh, I, I get the privilege of being a fingertip out in the world to be able to touch kids in the darkest places in Langley. Uh, but what good is a fingertip if it's not connected to a hand, if it's not connected to an arm, not connected to this body? So I'm here. I'm part of Jericho, and this is what I do And thank you for having me up here this morning. So we're trying to get in the habit as people and as a community when someone asks for prayer that we don't just say, that's a good idea, that we actually do something about it. So Danny, can you just stand here and whoever wants to come and pray for Danny and the work that Youth Unlimited does uh, here in Langley, you can just surround him, uh, lay hands on him and pray for him. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that um, you have a call on Danny's life and that you did save his life when it shouldn't have been and that it wasn't for nothing, that when you saved that life, you had visions of all these other lives you're going to impact, and I thank you that he's been faithful. I pray that you would surround him and his family. I pray that when they get weary, they would find their rest in you, and I pray that you would stir up this body to be the body, to be his support, to be his prayer, to be his encouragement. Um, and to be his hands as well, and that that we would see many more lives. We'd hear many more stories right in our own community of what you are doing, Father. So, God, we ask that you would bring uh, partners around Danny in every aspect of his work. We pray that uh, he would know today and each day that he does not stand alone, that he doesn't speak alone, he doesn't uh, love on his own, he loves with a love that comes directly from you. And we pray that that would be so continuously evident in his own life, pouring out of him to every person that he meets in every walk of life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.
we've got one more vignette, so I'm going to ask Lindsay if she would come and um, describe a little bit about uh, Lindsay lives in an interesting world where she's based here in Langley, and part of her role is to lead and catalyze teams uh, with a global aid network, which is the humanitarian arm of Power to Change here in Langley. And so uh, over the last year, many times you prayed for Lindsay as a community as she's traveled to different parts of the globe. And so, uh, Lindsay, why don't you give us just uh, some highlights from that? Tell us a little bit about uh, your life and your work and how we can stand with you and uh, some of the challenges and blessings that you have opportunity to be a part of. Sure. Awesome. Good morning. Hello. I'm very nervous. I'm not a big fan of public speaking, but I'm very blessed to be here this morning. So thanks for having me and letting me share a little bit about what's been going on um, with GAIN and with uh, my ministry personally. And so... I just, um, yeah, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Lindsay. I work with Global Aid Network, uh, just like Pastor Brad says, the Humanitarian Aid Division of Power to Change, which is formerly Campus Crusade for Christ, so hopefully one of those will ring a bell. Um, our mission statement is to demonstrate the love of God in word and deed to hurting and needy people around the world through relief and development projects. Um, and so before I get into just some updates from the fall, um, you know, at the heart of what we do is just a deep conviction that God has created people so perfectly. Um, I always get choked up when I share. But, um, you know, everyone has been placed exactly where they're supposed to be. And I mean, I don't understand why I'm North America and someone else is Katie, like these kids. But, um, yeah, we just, our staff team, we just really, we want to see people how God sees them. And that's not easy because it lot of heartbreak. Um, I know Daddy's heart breaks for the kids that he works with here in Langley, so it's, it's anywhere, but we just really believe that God has created people perfectly, and he loves them deeply, and so out of that, um, yeah, our actions come. And so the more I work internationally and here in Langley, the more I just realize there are so many people that are doing so many good things with different organizations and in different communities, and so I'm just thankful to be a small part of um, what God's doing there. And it's interesting to me, when I was in university years ago, we never talked about eradicating poverty or social justice. None of these things were buzzwords, and now it seems like that's the hip thing to talk about. And I'm so encouraged by that because I see a movement <coughs> of youth and university-age students that are passionate about seeing poverty ended, but at the same time, I know that, you know, Jesus is the only one that's going to make any kind of real and lasting change in the world. And so, um, yeah, we love what we do at GAIN, and we love that we get to come alongside people in their need, but also we need to bring Christ to them, or there's going to be no, you know, real change. So on the GAIN front, um, one of our biggest programs that we do is with Water for Life. And so we um, drill deep-cap water wells in Africa and also in Thailand. And so at the end of September, we hit 562 wells. Um, that's just such a praise item for us. That means each well is services about a thousand people in a village. That means access to clean and disease-free water. And so that's over half a million people that have received clean water. And so we just praise God for that, and we're very excited. And more exciting than the fact that they're getting um, clean drinking water is the fact that we're able to share the love of Christ with them. Um, many of you have probably seen the Jesus film. That is still one of the most effective. So I'm in switching. Okay. Um, we work at the Jesus Film strategy as well, and so we've um, accumulated the Jesus Film and p turned it into a church planting strategy, and so we're actually able to use the film and use um, all the different languages that that film has been translated into to plant churches. And so when a team goes in to drill a water well in a village, we have a local pastor that's there, we have a trained action group that's there, and so we're seeing people that are coming um, to hear about Christ and being plugged into churches and becoming disciples of him, and so that's just... Super exciting for us. Um, recently this fall, we've also started a microenterprise project in Paraguay. And so I um, was thrilled when we got involved in this. We have over 300 nutrition stations that gain uh, sends food down to Paraguay for. And so what that means is we send food and local churches in the different barrios 
in Paraguay are feeding kids every single day. And so we're seeing kids and mothers that are coming to these feeding or nutrition stations because they don't have anything to eat. And they're getting hooked in with the local church and they're hearing about the love of Christ. And now we're able to do this microenterprise project where we have women that are going through loan cycles and they're starting their own businesses and they're being able to get um, out of poverty and away from the loan sharks that just charge crazy amounts of interest. And so that's been a blessing to be a part of this fall as well. Um, and then we're also continuing our work in southern Ethiopia. I don't know if you guys know, but um, a year ago there was the drought in the Horn of Africa. That continues even till today. Uh, the rains that were expected came, but not in a great enough amount, so the crops failed, and we still have um, thousands of people there that are in need of food. And so we continue to work with uh, the Barana people in south Ethiopia. We've also been planting churches there. And it's been so um, cool just to see how... God has really prepared people's hearts and how through um, providing food and even the people that we're not feeding are just coming to Christ in droves because they're so um, desperate for the life and the hope that Jesus has. So that's been very exciting as well. Um, my role personally with GAIN, I get to work with all of our volunteer teams. So this is a picture of our last team to Haiti this summer. Um, this means I get to work with someone from the time that they're interested in coming on a project. I get to answer all their questions, process their applications, uh, coach them as they support raise and get ready for a project. And then I also get to travel and facilitate our teams in the field. So um, the other side of this is I also handle all of our logistics for our teams. So that means you know, something as simple as who's picking us up at the airport to how we're getting places and what we're eating and do we have clean water. And inevitably something goes wrong if you've done international travel. It's just just happened. So when Haiti this last summer, I was stuck in a six-hour traffic jam. Um, it, nothing was going anywhere, and we were just sitting in our truck inhaling diesel. But, you know, God was gracious, and we got everybody where they were supposed to get. And so um, I just consider it a great privilege to walk with people as they go on a faith adventure. It's just so fun to me to see people, um, you know, to get on the plane with them, and just to see how God gets them out of their comfort zone, and is just confronted um, you know, with poverty and just with seeing need worldwide. And just to see how God meets them in that place, it's such a blessing for me. Um, and it's been incredibly encouraging and it's been humbling uh, to hear stories about how these projects have affected the lives of the people that come on them. I was at a wedding last night and ran into a friend who came to Haiti and she was just saying how coming to Haiti and doing a short-term medical mission of 10 days really just made her want to get involved in something like on a longer-term scale in the field. And she'll, she'll be going with Mercy Ships um, in February for a couple months. So I was just thrilled. Like, I was so excited to hear that and to see how God is using these shorter-term opportunities that we're able to provide with GAIN to just getting people involved in his kingdom work. Um, I also manage our Haiti project. So this is my little friend, El Pancho from Haiti. That is his real name. Um, it's just been so fun. Like, it's been hard. Haiti is such a difficult place, and there's no easy answers to the poverty that's going on there, but we continue to work um, with medical teams and with feeding programs in schools. We're also rebuilding an orphanage down there. And so, yeah, it's just been great to see um, buildings come and lives being rebuilt after the earthquake. And so I love our kids that are down there. I call them our kids, but they're all of our kids that we're taking care of. Um, and so I just want to encourage you guys. I love being a part of the body of Christ. I love um, hearing about what's going on in different places. It just gets my heart. Sorry. Um, Tyler was going to place bets on when I started crying, so there would be like an over or under, but um, it just happened, so sorry. Um, but I just love, you know, I love hearing what Danny's doing in our own community. That's in our backyard. It's not someplace else. It's right here. Um, so a couple of ways that you can get involved with me and what my ministry is at GAIN. I also, similar to Danny, developed my own prayer and my own financial support team. So if you're interested in getting updates and praying for me, I would love that. If you're interested in getting updates and uh, want to financially support me as well, another huge blessing uh, to me. And if you want to come on a project with me um, to Haiti or India or Africa, I would love it. Now the caveat with that is if you want to go to Guatemala with the church or Tanzania, just go, like... I'm so passionate about short-term missions, and I just think, um, you know, our lives are not going to be the same after we see the need that there is. And so just pray about getting out internationally at some point in the next 12 months um, with whoever it is. I'm just so excited when people 
just get out of their comfort zone and take a step of faith. And so the other thing I love about the body of Christ is each one of us is called to something different. And so when Brad asked me to share, he's like, what, you know, what is God speaking to you? Sorry, I'm totally drifting here. Um, but my question that I was kind of just thinking through is like, what is God calling me to do? And what is God calling you to do? And the beauty of our church is that each of us are called to different things. Each of our responses to that question about what God's asking us to do is going to be different. And that's just a beautiful, uh, beautiful thing. And so I would just challenge you to think through, Lord, like, what are you asking me to do? What is that step of faith that I need to take? And so it might be to go with the team to Guatemala. It might be to financially support a missionary, you know. Um, it could be something as simple as building intentionally into the lives of someone in your community that is going through a difficult time or just needs to hear about Christ. And so, yeah, these things are what make us as a church body and as a faith body just a beautiful thing. And so just to wrap up, I want to say thank you uh, for supporting me as well and just putting up with my tears. Um, I really appreciate it. And I would just ask you to think through, like, Lord, what are you asking me to do and how can I respond? So thank you. I think Lindsay did a better job than I could have of summarizing the morning and call to action for each one of us. The scriptures talk about the church being the body. Each have different parts of the body and they each serve a different purpose, but without each part, we cannot fulfill what God is calling us to. So I want to pray for Lindsay and I also want to pray for us as a congregation as we take what we've heard and we ask God, where should I go? What should I do? How can I serve and how can I help? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your servant, Lindsay. We thank you for the call on her life to mobilize, to equip, to help as people go, as they take your commands seriously and they go to the ends of the earth to help those in need, helping them practically with all the different needs they have for shelter and food and water, and helping them, Lord, spiritually understand that there is a God who loves them more than they can possibly imagine. So, Lord, may you provide her with continued motivation and strength as she helps others fulfill the mission that you have for them. And, Lord, collectively as your church, I pray that the messages that we've heard this morning would not fall on deaf ears. Lord, give us a sensitivity to your spirit that we would be obedient to your call. And that this would make a difference, Lord, as we seek to see people's lives transformed for your glory. Amen.